It's very easy sitting here geographically isolated from the rest of the world in Australia to feel that our pharmacy issues are unique and not seen anywhere else. It'd be great to find out what's going on other parts of the world and whether we have more in common. Well, that's exactly what you're going to get in this week's show, where I have Todd Yuri, the host of the Pharmacy Podcast Show, and he joins us all the way from the US, and we talk about what our colleagues are doing over there, what are the best innovations, and really how we're not all that different. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours. And we're back from APP, hitting up episode 55. Well, I've certainly covered some distance in this last week, and we're going to cover a little bit more, as you've heard in our introduction, where we're going to be visiting our colleague Todd Yuri from the Pharmacy Podcast Show over in the US. It's a fantastic interview. It's a fantastic chat. It's entertaining, I believe, and I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. It's um, great to see what's working, what isn't, and uh, what we can really learn from our US colleagues as we discover that we are in a global pharmacy world and there's so much to share and so much we can learn from each other and help to build our better businesses. But before we get into the interview... How did you go this week? Did you get across to APP? If you didn't, I've got some great news for you. I'm going to be putting together some resources in this week's post at robertstar.com forward slash episode 55. There'll be an embedded Twitter feed. And what that's really useful for is that you can actually follow all of the action from APP. If you missed it all over the four days, I'll pull out the best tweets that I saw and really help to distill some of the greatest bits of knowledge from the overall conference. I spoke to a lot of pharmacy owners, a lot of pharmacists, and the ones that were tweeting the most quite often were simply saying, well, this is what I use to take notes. So your their notes are now your notes and you can get up to date as well. As requested last week, it was a great feedback. We're going to do a Google Hangout. I'm going to put the date and the link in the show notes. So head across to robertstar.com forward slash episode 55 and you can book in for that. And I look forward to chatting and hanging out with you and uh, looking forward to celebrating our one year anniversary, which is of course what I did with the Transformation Tribe up at APP. I've posted a couple of photos on Facebook, which you can check out at the uh, transformation page, which if you type in Robert Star slash transformation in Facebook, you can have a look at all of that and see what was going on as well. There's also great feedback that I got from a lot of listeners that I caught up with at APP and geez, it was a pleasure. It was fantastic to meet so many people in the physical world. It's uh, always quite isolating behind the microphone here and knowing who are the people that are tending to be tweeting to me or sending Facebook messages or emails 
sales, but it was great to just hang out and uh, it was fantastic to get some insights and also, you know, just what people have taken away from the first year, which of course we summed up in last week's show at episode 54, which we had our best nine segments, which was fantastic as well. But I'd love to know, what did you take away from APP? And more importantly, what did you start to implement as well? As you might have got from my five tips for a better APP conference, I suggested that you spend some time on implementation if you can afford to do it um, the day after you got back. So if you started to do anything, did you share your journey at APP with the team? Did you catch up with some suppliers and vendors? What were the, what were the best products or suppliers that you spoke to? Probably particularly from a technology standpoint, I'll share with you my top five in a moment. Uh, But it'd be great to know what you took away from it and uh, absolutely fantastic. I guess my takeouts from APP was it was just an absolute thrill to share my knowledge with so many delegates and pharmacists and people in the industry uh, through the Transformation book. Um, as I may have mentioned on last week's show, uh, through a partnership with Dose Innovations, we made the whole book available through a limited edition to 3,000 delegates, which was an absolute thrill and uh, started some great conversations over the four days. And uh, it was terrific to uh, hear what people were taking away from it as it is positioned as a as a piece of method and also um, a, a process that you can follow in implementing even the simplest technology right all the way to the most complicated. And uh, there were some great innovations which I'll share with you at the moment of what I saw at APP as well. And also the response to the magazine as well. Um, you know, For those who don't always like listening to me, um, that's a great way to get some great nuggets and uh, gold to implement in your pharmacy in those nine critical areas. And uh, again, It's been fantastic to be able to capture those opportunities in one quarterly publication of best practice strategy. And it's been great to see it being adopted so well um, since APP as well. So please, if you have any comments, you'd like to know what you want to see in the next quarter, what are the really key important issues you'd like to see covered, hit me up on Twitter at Robert Starr um, or just email me old-fashioned at robert at robertstar.com. Probably had too much coffee over the conference. I probably need to think of some inventive uh, meeting types. Um, it was great uh, to see so many who wanted to chat about the biggest technology issues that they're seeing and how technology could implement um, change in their business. And uh, particularly, you know, just really emphasizing who who we all are and we're motivated pharmacy owners. And it was just great to hit, see so much enthusiasm. And I'm going to take that enthusiasm out of APP because I really enjoyed that. And I've decided to put aside two hours a week uh, for four chinwags, uh, chinwags quick chats, if you like, um, to really help motivated pharmacy owners like you bust through some of your biggest issues. Um, So I'm going to make that available. Um, You can grab that at robertstar.com forward slash quick chat. I'll make those appointments available, book one in that suits you, and let's have a chat. So my top five from APP. So the first one was uh, one of the pr- one of the presentations that I thought was an absolute headline for where we are right now, not just in pharmacy but in small business, and that was uh, the Digilog presentation by Anders Sorman Nielsen, which is really about taking the best of digital to create an unforgettable and remarkable analog environment in store, and it's br- really brought together the themes that we often talk about on this show of really trying to utilise all of these fantastic tools available 
available to us, whether it be social media, whether it's data analytics, to really understand our customer's journey better so that we can provide them with a more remarkable experience and personalization in what we do. And it was absolutely sensational. Um, number two was uh, the technology influence over the Quality Care Pharmacy of the Year. It was fantastic and inspirational to hear from Hannah Mann, the uh, co-owner of the Kimberley Pharmacy Services. And it was great to see the video of uh, her story and what Kimberley Pharmacy Services do when they've got technology around Webster packing machines and uh, sachet machines and the fact that they help to create an electronic health record that follows the patients right across the Kimberley. Fantastic right across 29 different communities. And it was great to see that all of that could not be possible if we didn't innovate with technology. There's some great lessons from the USA. We had Doug Hoey and, um, you know, really emphasizing the, the, the problem that if you don't want to change, the time is ticking and it may not be able to save your business. So he really did emphasize that over there, they've decided that it's impossible to save every pharmacy, particularly those who don't want to change. So really left that message of if you don't change, unfortunately, there may not be a future for you. We've obviously heard from the Health Minister, Susan Lay, and also uh, Senator Nick Xenophon, which gave a rousing uh, response to the uh, conference and probably set Twitter into meltdown uh, through the level of support um, across the pharmacy community uh, for the sustainability of pharmacy. So it looks like we're going to be in for a rough road through the Sixth Community Pharmacy Agreement and future PBS reform. But as we've spoken about a lot on this show, you can control your own destiny. And we often talk about you know, the biggest opportunities. We spoke about it with Brian Walker only a few weeks ago about your opportunities in retail. And when you look at your floor space of your pharmacy, of the areas that are generating the most profit in your business, it's really could be only 10 or even 20% of your floor space that's generating 80 or 90% of your profit. So it's really about making that retail area more profitable for you, akin to the ones that we admire the most, like Apple. And it doesn't mean that you have to inundate it with more stock. It's just really <clears throat> understanding the customer journey and mapping a great experience for them. As you're going to get some great ideas from Todd today as to how you could do that. Um, and the fifth one is understanding your business on a deeper level through data. Um, <clears throat> and as COS presented, and there was the Pharmacy Optimization Business Scorecard that the Guild launched at APP, taking you through, I think it was 35 or 36 key performance indicators, was really trying to maximize your one percenters. There's so much that we need to understand about our business at a deeper level, and data gives us that great opportunity. And there's obviously some great tools um, to enable us to do that. I'm going to rattle off my top five tech that I saw at APP and we're going to dig deeper into it in over the coming episodes as well. Um, but the first one was automation. Um, there's so many innovative products around that to really help us to delegate and scale the logistics side of our business, uh, both from a stock unpacking point of view to even a stock display point of view. There was a great product, VMotion, at the Dose Innovation Stand, which is where you could simply remove the necessity of all presentation stocks in your medicine wall and perhaps even greater opportunity outside of the dispensary um, to be able to automate that. Assuming you have a dispense robot, you can link those panels with your automation to be able to deliver those products. And ultimately, it means that you can display them perfectly, 
You could even be adjusting your pricing if you need to through the electronic shelf labels built in and manage it all quite centrally. It was really fantastic. Um, it was a great Wi-Fi product that Chemist Pos Direct are bringing to market, which really gives you for, I guess, the tech junkies amongst us, uh, Google Analytics-like understanding of our physical businesses through Wi-Fi network, but more on that in coming episodes. There were new dispense and clinical systems. Uh, the retail dashboard that Mike DeGama spoke about all the way back in episode 52, not that long ago, um, but really understanding our retail better and also his product dovetails into all the management of all those KPIs that Coz spoke about. And also it was fantastic and it's not a new product, but it was just great to see it being utilized and for pharmacists to just see a huge paradigm shift in mobility opportunities to see the HP MX10, which was of course, the tablet that uh, George Alam spoke about all the way back in episode 27 of the biggest game-changing product he's seen in pharmacy and how you can literally be doing everything that you normally would behind the dispense counter from a tablet computer. So, so much to take out. I couldn't, I could talk about it for the next few hours if I really wanted to, but we've got to get across to Todd because I know you're just going to be blown away by what he's got to share with you. Our interview today is with Todd Yuri. He's the founder and the host of the Pharmacy Podcast Show, which was founded in 2009 and I like to think of as our US cousin. The show is dedicated to helping pharmacy owners, particularly privately owned pharmacy businesses, with providing the with good, usable content, information, and innovative ideas. Todd Yuri, welcome to the Transformation Show. Well, hello, Robert Starr. I am so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this interview. Uh, me too, Todd. And look, um, for, for our listeners who would now be already be known that uh, you know, Pharmacy Podcast is the original pharmacy podcast that started back in 2009. And uh, you know, it's great to obviously know exactly what's going on the other side of the world. And uh, we've got some great innovations to share with you about what's working over in the US so that you can look at these and uh, hopefully implement something new in your pharmacy as a result. I tell you what, um, it's a, it, was a, it was a treat for me to see that, the, um, that you started a, a transformation show and what an incredible name. Um, it's, it's something that every private owner of the pharmacy uh, business really needs to concentrate, concentrate on what that means and to innovate your business and make sure that you're not standing still. Um, the topics that you brought to the, to the show, Robert, have been uh, everything, have been everything but but uh, boring. I, I listen to it. I, I'm, I'm a fan. And I think we need more podcasters. I, you know, podcasting is coming back. I was talking to uh, Dr. Um, Aaron Albert, who teaches at Butler University in, uh, in the United States. And, um, and she is a blogger, and she's featured on a forum, a morning show on, on a small radio station, as well as um, she's been on, uh, on Forbes magazine as a, as a writer. And and she said, uh, uh, released uh, an article about podcasting coming back. And it was after her and I had several conversations. She's been on our show about third spaces, which actually we could actually talk about. But, um, you're, you know, as, as someone that does a consistent quality podcast about the business of pharmacy, if you, if you Google that, if you Google, you know, business of pharmacy audio blog or business of pharmacy podcast, uh, there's not very many of them out there, and and I I like to think that you and I and um, and, and very few are are innovators and in bringing back uh, a medium that started 
20 years ago that only recently seems to be coming a making a comeback. Oh, look, absolutely. And and it's one of those rare mediums, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners have perhaps listened to some audio program in the past before you discovered a podcast that you're able to do other things whilst you're listening to it, uh, which, you know, not too many educational conversations and hopefully entertaining conversations you can be listening to whilst walking the dog, being in the gym, driving a car. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very unique medium. That's very true. Yeah, the podcast, as you said, <clears throat> accidentally started in 2009 because I was tired of repeating myself. Um, I was I was talking about other people's products, and um, I was you know supposed to be selling a pharmacy management system. We were talking about interfaces to uh, packaging systems and automation systems and um, different uh, electronic health records, and I started recording things and uh, and started sending those out an email. And then realized that that wasn't a very good way of doing it because some of those files, as you can imagine, were were too large to fit into email um, consistently and 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 flowing correctly. So I started the uh, the PTR Pharmacy Podcast, which stood for Pharmacy Technology Resource. And then I ended up dropping uh, the PTR part because we really didn't concentrate on just technology anymore. And I was really talking about more of the business of pharmacy. And then realized. There were no podcasts out there talking about the business of pharmacy. So I was really excited by the time I hit episode 60 um, to kind of be a trendsetter and to be, uh, you know, um, attracting um, attracting uh, companies that wanted to be featured on the show. And um, it's just been a treat. It's been it's been I said this before on on another interview I was on um, our 200th episode just uh, just passed. We're on episode 202. And um we were interviewing and being sponsored by a, a magazine in the States called Pharmacy Times. And um, I said on the podcast, I said, you know, it's the greatest learning tool for me. Um, interviewing people that are subject matter experts in the business of pharmacy has been the greatest learning tool. And I'll bet you, Robert, as a host, you've probably learned more by interviewing people than you've probably in any other way of, of, of sucking up information, at least from an innovation perspective. Oh, look, absolutely. And, you know, even just the idea of bouncing ideas about how we can take our profession forward and, uh, you know, think a little bit differently, think about how other industries have benefited. You know, in my case, is a lot of it leverages around technology, how they're utilizing it and really drawing that back to how it could be done in pharmacy. And, you know, th those types of conversations I enjoy and, you know, I'd, I'd have them more than more often than not, um, you know, at the cafe with me meeting with someone anyway so you know that was one of the really big things that I got out of starting the show so now really interesting Todd and you know obviously you've been on a, a bit of a journey since then um, and um, you know that's it's now in your two, uh, 202 episode and uh, we just crossed over the threshold of one year ourselves um, so you know look it's it's still so early days for it as well and you know the more people we can get uh, specializing in uh, you know podcasting in and around pharmacy it's going to be great uh, to you know get all different aspects uh, introduced but um, 
Todd, we've had a lot of interested listeners who have been following the big guys over in the US, um, Walgreens, CVS, and you know, seeing that big shift in how loyalty programs are being implemented um, over there and it going away from the transactional and the frequency-based systems in and around wellness. And there's a lot of technology that gets spoken around that. Um, what have you seen with that? And I guess outside of branded pharmacies, are there independent pharmacies that you've either worked directly with or seen um, that are making good ground in this area as well? Yeah, it, this uh, this topic is was, was very explosive about three years ago. Um, and that was the loyalty program in pharmacy and how pharmacies could leverage that Putting a little uh, fob on your on your keychain and then walking up to the register and then barcode scanning. You know when you come up, uh, that's well known in the grocery store world, but it was new to pharmacy and definitely new to independence. I got to work uh, hand in hand with a pharmacy out of uh, Aliquippa, which is an Indian name. Lots of uh, lots of little towns in in western Pennsylvania in the United States are named after uh, Indian uh, tribes and. Aliquippa, there was a pharmacy called Medfast Pharmacy, uh, which were very close to Pittsburgh, and uh, they helped to develop an application called R Extra Cash. So it was RX, RX and then Tra Cash. And R Extra Cash was basically a rewards program that would then interpret to dollars that could be spent in the pharmacy, which was very innovative. But when I started looking at the uh, the, the loyalty programs as a, as a whole, Robert, um, they were too fragmented, and 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 that in itself, even though they're, in my opinion, that's still in its infancy, it, it's still not been leveraged from an independence perspective uh, like it should be. Probably through a buying group uh, that would have thousands of pharmacies buying from them that would come out with one unified uh, loyalty program for all of their members, almost like a health mart or a uh, a medicine shop or something like that that. Uh, have a have lots of members under them, but are still independent. Um, but Walgreens and CVS and the names that I hate to say uh, in public, I guess um, <laughs> these big gargantuan players, um, they've done pretty well. I think there's lots of analytics in it that that can be leveraged for uh, for for their purposes. But you know what hasn't been done, Robert, is turning it on its nose and instead of it benefiting with big data, the corporation. I want it to. I want it to be able to turn around and um, and benefit the patient, benefit the customer, so that they could look back through a portal and understand not only their buying habits but their health habits. Robert, imagine being able to turn it on, a, turn it on its head, and offering a, a customer a portal that they could log into, username, password, email, password, uh, maybe your your customer number, and over a, a month period, a, a, a quarter period, a year period. Uh, see what kind of things you're buying and, and be able to um, have like metrics that say, you know, hey, instead of buying, you know, X, why don't you buy more Y? Or, I mean, I think there's more integration that, that hasn't really taken off yet. And obviously, if there's innovators listening to the show and you can go out and get a couple million dollars, maybe you could develop something. But I think the rewards program, Robert, is, is, it in, is really in its infancy. 
Yeah, and, and I think it always comes back to just in a recent episode, I inter- interviewed uh, Mike DeGama from Nostradata, which you probably wouldn't be familiar with over in the States, but they are, they want to become Australia's uh, healthcare, largest healthcare analytics company in retail. And, um, you know, we spoke a lot about, you know, just really trying to get homogenized more um, data sources to actually bring them together to make a whole lot more sense about it. And obviously, as an underlying data, definition that's what big data is um but you know it's really not very helpful until it's being put into context around a particular person and patient so if you're able to link in obviously the typical loyalty metrics of number of visits what your basket size is how often you come in what are your most frequently purchased items but linking that in with your healthcare data around your medical conditions and other things that are going on in your lifestyle um, you know, we can certainly start rewarding people on a more meaningful level than just simply giving them <laughs> giving them cash to spend in the store. Right, that's so true. Uh, because there's metrics and there's those biomarkers and there's those uh, bio devices that you know measure how many steps you take, your heart rate. I think that there's there's some very exciting things to come that could definitely leverage some of um, the practices that you're mentioning. Yeah, and that's an interesting one. Um, wearable technology, um, we have in Australia, um, a lot of the, re- the general retailers, not pharmacy retailers, have really jumped on getting loads of Fitbits and Garmin's and uh, Jawbones, which I'm sure you, you, you certainly would be seeing over there. Um, what are you seeing in pharmacies over there with wearable technology? Are they embracing it or, or still really um, you know, scratching the surface? I think they're scratching the surface. I see some actual pharmacists who are taking part in wearables. Um, you know, I, I've seen several pharmacists take play, uh, take uh, part in some uh, some Google Plus experiments with Google Glass. Um, I've seen some health system pharmacists take part in uh, in different wearable technologies that that measure their their obviously their biometrics and different things that they're doing. But I haven't seen anybody take advantage of it from a patient engagement perspective yet. Yeah, because it's, it's just such a fascinating standpoint in that, you know, patients typically all of this information about themselves, how well they sleep, what their blood pressure's like, um, you know, blood glucose readings are something we've seen for a long time in very isolated systems, but not in connected or internet enabled systems. And they're walking around with all of this data and <clears throat> turning to Google to interpret it, but really, you know, not quite understanding what that means for them. And as we've talked about, Spoken about in the last few episodes of our show, you know, turning that into wisdom that really delivers that patient an insight that allows them to change their behaviour and change their healthcare uh, as a result. And you know, it's such an engaging conversation that you know more pharmacists should be having that conversation. That's so true. Um, you know, little tidbits um, that you can you know share with the listeners and and our listeners obviously because um transformation we'd very much like to um to to bring more um uh united states based uh pharmacy owners uh to the transformation um the book that you published and of course your podcast and some of the things that you're doing but just as a as a FYI to your listeners anyone who's a twitter user for example which I'd love to see this put into some type of uh uh, wearable, you know, Google Watch or something like that, <clears throat> and that is, you know, that Foursquare application that will um, automatically, if you allow the 
if you allow the system to do it, it'll, it'll basically tell your followers kind of where you are. Well, in, in the infancy of thinking of that, if you were to go to a Twitter universe or Twitter platform, whether that be TweetDeck or just Twitter in general, and go to this, uh, the, the search section, and you put in the word Sydney Pharmacy, for example, just two words, Sydney and then Space Pharmacy, it's amazing how fast you can see people that would would have tweeted something that had to do with that um and and as a as a pharmacy owner or someone operating a pharmacy if you did Pittsburgh pharmacy or Austin pharmacy or Orlando pharmacy or you know Los Angeles pharmacy whatever it was it, you'd be amazed of, at how many uh new uh customer potentials or engagements of what's being talked about in social media. And I just think it's completely underutilized. I do it because I'm hyperactive. I'm always doing two or three things at once. But I'm amazed at how many followers I've found just by you know uh, searching for specific keywords. I'd love to see that integrated into a wearable someday. Yeah, look, it, it's it's really interesting, and you know, look, um, you know, one app in particular, or website that I've I've seen in the past is like Sickweather, uh, which you may have seen, which can map uh, pretty accurately the flu virus, and I think they do that uh, over in the states by monitoring the um, the social media activity of people talking about their symptoms of having fever or cough or um, headaches, and um, being able to you know graphically <laughs> present that uh, in a format that almost represented the um, the CDC's map of the flu virus, which I thought was remarkable. But, you know, all of that was born out of these social interactions. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of a marketing capability, it's a big one. But in terms of, you know, obviously being able to, you know, leverage internet connected devices like your wearables, it's got unlimited potential. Very much so. I agree. Which is interesting, like in terms of social media, um, we always have a, have, have a joke and a battle with a few pharmacists who are divided by the one factor that on social media, they don't want to have a presence because they don't want the negative aspect arriving on their virtual doorstep or you've got the others who are embracing it but perhaps doing it the wrong way in terms of just screaming ads about products that they're selling on special that week and we've spoken a lot on the show about developing really helpful content as opposed to just screaming those ads but I guess how are pharmacies that you've seen and observed over over in the US utilizing social media um, I guess for their ultimate success? That's a great question. I actually had a course on that. I don't do it as I don't do it anymore. I, I did it up until about two years ago um, when social really started to hit. I would say right around 2010, where businesses really started to kind of leverage it. And then pharmacy was always late. Seems like our pharmacies in the United States seemed like they're always late to the game, <clears throat> but they're they're still learning. And um, what I've seen is, and what I teach is, for goodness sakes, pharmacy owners, listen. Don't forget the social part of social media. If you think you're going to hide from it because you don't want someone picking on your brand or something, then you have a bigger problem than anything social media is ever going to do to you, and that is the brand or your reputation. That in itself should, should be kind of the foundation for everything that is you know, your face and your business and your reputation and your marketplace, your community. But social media, everybody, like you just pointed out, Robert, you're saying they're slapping, you know, artic, uh, 
articles about maybe something that they've published, which is great. That's good content. But then they start talking about, you know, they're afraid. I've heard them saying, well, it's just a bunch of advertising. Mm. Well, followers are going to know the difference between something that's sincerely social media versus advertising media. And um, I think that you have to balance that. I'm not saying that if you don't have a, if you have a new product that comes out, of course you want to tweet that and and let people know that it's available. Matter of fact, you should do a little blog on it and and uh, interview a patient or two or a customer or two that's actually used it, so you can get testimonials, which I think is very po po powerful. But that engagement with social media, um, you know, I, I remember during my class, uh, Robert, people would say, "Well, how many times do I have to tweet a day?" And I'm like, "Wait a second, how many? How often are you talking to customers?" Well, I'm talking to customers all day long. And I'm like, well, social media is no different. Well, how can I do that all day long? I'm busy. I'm doing other things. I'm like, well, wait a second. Time out. It's, a way of, it's just a way of managing your business. You Go out to your technicians uh, or go out to some of your younger pharmacists or your pharmacists who are very you know, iPhone or, uh, or droid savvy, and they're always on their phones. These people that love texting, you know, and, and communication and, and, and recruit somebody that, that likes to do that anyhow and, and have them through Facebook or Twitter or, um, you know, Instagram or many of the social platforms that are out there, just become social, just become the social voice of your pharmacy business and do nothing but uh, be an advocate for patient wellness, an advocate for what's good for a patient, and talk about smoking sensation or diabetes care or uh, lowering blood pressure or lowering cholesterol, whatever. But don't forget that to be social, be funny, post something when it's cold out. We're going through a crazy cold season here in the northeast of the of the United States, and um, and several pharmacists who I coached. Are, are posting cartoons about you know it being cold or or a joke about it being cold or you know making fun of Florida pharmacies uh, for complaining because it's it's 36 degrees when in Pittsburgh it was negative 16 with the wind chill so it's just about being social and and stop hiding behind that that Twitter handle you know you yeah. have to come out from the handle and be yourself yeah yeah no look it's 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 really interesting we talk about a lot on the show um of representing yourself the same way that you would represent yourself in person but in a, in a digital sense and uh you know we get so i think put off by the fact that you do have these digital trolls out there that you know keyboard warriors behind you know behind the scenes but if you ever met them in real life they wouldn't their personas would be poles apart and i think in business it's allow it, it gives us the opportunity to represent ourselves accurately in a digital sense and you know have that brand congruence so that you know in in terms of a retail experience you're delivering the same uniformity across all your channels um, so that if you interact with a pharmacy online it's going to get pretty close to what you're going to get when you walk through the front door of a pharmacy and you know as as one of my mentors um tim reed from the small business big marketing show talks a lot about is marketing's that conversation that you have with your patients when they're not in front of you and if you approach it as a conversation like you're saying todd it, that you can't go wrong with it i think people go wrong with it when they start to think that they've got to be something artificial to be able to you know succeed with social media that's so true. You know, a guy that I look up to, his name's John Nasta, um, and he is a, a digital, I call him the digital health 
godfather in the in the states he has a little uh, consulting company called nasta lab and i interviewed him on our show which is one of the recent shows you can actually your listeners you go listen to it it's we're published on itunes and uh, you could probably google john and his last name n-o-s-t-a yeah we'll, pop, we'll uh, pop it in the show notes yeah so john is a digital health philosopher he is what he titles himself but that man is so down to earth like he is so comfortable with what he knows and um, and what he's professing and what he's talking about that he doesn't come across as some snooty, you know, uppity person that that is untouchable. And when you go to something like his Instagram page or his Twitter page, he has a ton of content that he puts out. And obviously he always hashtags digital health, but he's also a human being. You know, I go to his his uh, his Instagram, for example. And he's got pictures of his kids on there and, you know, his Google, his his crazy goggles that he's wearing with a camera in them. And I mean, this guy's a big nerd like like I am. And um, I just love that. I think that that, you know, social, just like you said, it's it's an extension of yourself. It's an extension of your business. It's an extension of your brand. Um, but, um, you know, don't forget the the human aspect to it all. Yeah, well, look, absolutely. And, you know, we often talk about that pharmacies going back to the future in that, you know, the origins of pharmacies and drugstores, um, you know, really was about creating that that social and community hub. And, uh, you know, in the US, particularly with the soda fountains, uh, which was, I believe, the original social media um, where, you know, people would come from all over the place in the communities to, you know, grab a glass of soda and talk about what was going on in the community. And, you know, pharmacies can still, you know, play that role, but it's going to play in a different space and have to embrace the technology that getting a blade to play in that space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the soda fountain. Um, that's what I mentioned about. And I'm glad you said that because that brings me back to third spaces. So the concept of third spaces in pharmacy is, you know, you probably talk to your listeners about this and even some of your customers about this. And that is, you know, the real estate of your pharmacy is so important and what you have in that real estate and what's truly being used and and the soda fountain back in the day when pharmacy really kicked off um, it really would make their uh, their pharmacy an environment of community um, it transformed into these big mecca fast food pharmacy stores which I'm gonna pick on the big nationals here in, in the United States that um, they they try to they try to put too much product in the in their in their environments rather than um, really expanding on the feeling of community and wellness. And um, we had a pharmacy uh, podcast interview I did with, um, uh, with home, uh, home Care Apothecary and uh, Hometown Apothecary, and uh, they have a, a juice bar um, that, uh, that they put into their, uh, their pharmacy, which is kind of the next generation, uh, soda fountain. And then, uh, and then Dr. Erin Albert as, as, and I were talking about it and she was like, you know, uh, coffee bars, coffee baristas, um, you know, as the next slow, slow down or, a, or, a, or a shared library, something to, to, to bring the community together in your environment that you're not only caring for these people as customers and patients, but, Basically, new you're providing new a place to become friends. You're you're providing a place to to share stories and just slow down. I think with our our fast paced technology, uh, Robert, uh, sometimes we can get caught up in it. We can hide behind our texts, hide behind our tweets, 
um, and we forget about being a community. Yeah, and no, I look absolutely, and I, I think you know one of the best modern day ones, and that you know that may not be you know too far from your doorstep. I'm sure it's a considerable distance, but one that I followed a little while through Instagram and through major social media was um, Stanley's Pharmacy in the, in New York. Do you know it? I have heard of Stanley's Pharmacy. Yes. Yeah, and and, and it's a fa- it's fascinating that he puts together you know soda you know sodas you know made from scratch teas and you know it's 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 very much positioned as this old style uh, drugstore type pharmacy, but everything is made uh, custom for a particular patient, and you know that comes from tonics and teas. It's 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 really uh, you know such a great model, and he's got such a good social media presence for what he is, and it's very true in probably every touch point he has. Yeah, he's actually this is the same pharmacy that I found um, on Twitter. I think he's um, right in New York City. And um, right on Ludlow Street, at Ludlow Street, as a matter of fact, and yep. uh, yeah, he, he's got an incredible uh, social media presence. But it's it's very sincere. Um, that's right. I do remember this guy. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and there's probably more examples of those, but you know, it, it really does lend itself back to the traditional forms of pharmacies before there were brands, before there were manufacturers, wholesalers, and it really required pharmacists to listen more um, and to really understand their communities better. And at this stage, you know, digital media, um, you know, there is such a great advantage for those that want to listen in those spaces because, you know, the information's very free-flowing. People are very comfortable with telling the world that they're unwell. And if you happen to be a pharmacy in that space or community, then uh, it would be a great advantage for you to be able to connect not only in-store if they happen to turn up, but in a social space as well. That's so true. Very true. Uh, really good. And and I guess one, one thing that I, I wanted to ask, because it's always a question I get asked in Australia, is that, you know, we're now in the process of trying to accelerate our professional services into obviously becoming commercial and fee-for-service, because uh, as, as we can all agree, our core business is our advice and our ability to deliver wisdom to our customers. Um, but are you seeing any pharmacies in particular that you can come across that do this better than most because it's obviously very hard to move away from an entire dependency I guess from your side with dependencies on insurance companies and benefit managers um, to what we see over here with the government and the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Yeah so uh, the United States right now is going through um, the quest for provider status for pharmacists so that is uh, patient care services that aren't included in certain key sections of the Social Security Act or CMS, which is kind of the way that we govern how things are paid through Medicare or Medicare Part B or insurance and things like that. And it, it's a shame, obviously, that they forgot pharmacists as healthcare providers long ago when they started making um, those uh, provisions for payment. But pharmacists have survived. I mean, they've come out with ways to, to differentiate themselves. They're the number one trusted healthcare provider um, even though they're not considered a provider per se, um, um, second to nurses actually. Uh, nurses, through the survey that we did, 
was number one, pharmacists number two. And it's been because they pay attention to their uh, follow-up customers after they've seen their physician. They come into the pharmacy to execute that therapy and the pharmacists are really digging down into the small things, not just the condition, but you know, diet. Uh, Terry Forshe, which is a pharmacy owner in Tennessee, um, does a, a whole weight management program and a lifestyle management program for his patients and that's become a program and then pharmacogenomics which you and I both are extremely interested in understanding more about those pharmacies that are, are leveraging the innovative services uh, that are available to them to lead the way and why in the world wouldn't a pharmacist lead uh, with the usage of metabolizing medications through the study of what a DNA test can do for uh, the breakdown of medications through your through the patient's liver and whether they're slow metabolizing or or not metabolizing at all. I mean that just makes sense to me and and that's like that's a very innovative forward thinking and and that's a way for pharmacists to make money beyond just that transactional um, model that you and I both uh, you know uh, despise as the only thing that uh, that could pay a pharmacy. You know you and I are the cheerleaders per se for the business of pharmacy to say to these pharmacists, you have to continuously transform yourself and change yourself and innovate the type of services that you're bringing to your patients and to your customers because they're going to look to you um, for that advice and you've got to have the answers, whether that be a vitamin therapy or are you allergic to wheat? You know, are you, do you have a gluten issue or a celiac disease or, you know, are you diabetic and you're dealing with that and what kind of diet should I be on or what shouldn't I um, you know, do what? What time of day should I have my big meal? I mean, you as a as a community healthcare provider, a wellness provider, you you've got actually got to exercise and learn beyond just the science of what is pharmacy. Yeah, uh, look, it's it, it's it's the interesting part is is that you know it's going to arrive on our doorsteps <laughs> whether we actually want it or not. It's whether we're going to be prepared for it because there's never been more information available through Doctor Google and our patients collectively <laughs> turn to that as their first point of call to understand a symptom or a disease that they may have heard about. And uh, you know before they you know develop too much cyberchondria, <laughs> which is a term that um, I. Would talked about with uh, Morris Muzalowski, the business futurist, a couple of episodes back. Um, you know, they need someone to diffuse that stress and angst and actually put it into context for them. And that creates these great opportunities. But I do know as well from, from my research that there are a lot more specialty type pharmacies that um, you probably have developed over in the US more so than what we have in Australia. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the, I guess, the specialist type pharmacies that, you know, you perhaps aren't going to see on the high street, but, um, you know, are, you know, because of their specialization, quite profitable? That's a that's a great question. So in the United States, I guess you could consider this. It's probably not strange to us because we're just used to it. But um, possibly to the UK or to Australia or other parts of the world, there's there's different types of, of pharmacy. There's your health system pharmacies, which are obviously connected to a hospital, and it's just about I think uh, patching things up. And it's not really the I don't think it's I don't think the health system pharmacies per se are are you know it's where the therapy starts, but it's certainly not. Uh, what a community pharmacy or a long-term care clinical institutional pharmacy or a compounding pharmacy is doing. But you spoke on specialty pharmacy. So specialty pharmacy in the United States, which there's about 300 privately owned specialty pharmacies throughout the 
throughout the entire country. And uh, one of the largest ones is called Diplomat. Um, actually, they're not private. Uh, they, they actually went public about two or three months ago. But um, there's Amber Pharmacy and Mom's Apothecary Shop. I think they might still be around or Apothecary Shop. Um, these are pharmacies that are concentrating on one or two specific disease states. So that might be HIV. Um, it might be hepatitis C. It might be a cancer um, uh, that, that patients, of course, are um, you know, horribly going through and, and dealing with. And there is a whole different way of delivering that therapy that is extremely uh, volatile and, and, and important uh, that needs to come from um, a very dedicated team. Um, and, and I've actually seen these pharmacies work from the inside out where their CRM systems, their uh, customer relationship management systems are all geared towards one specific patient's condition, um, their mood, uh, their family, um, what they might be going through because of the, the therapy that they're on, um, how they're feeling, uh, just a collection of data that, that is very humanistic. It's very down to earth. It, it, it takes uh, someone on the other end of the, of the phone or someone on the other end of the counter that really understands. And some of the best caregivers in specialty pharmacy that, um, that I've met have actually dealt with these disease states themselves. As, as care advocates. And guess what? These care advocates aren't even pharmacists. Mm -hmm. Some of these people that work for these specialty pharmacies as customer or patient care advocates um, are, are people that are, obviously they're educated in, in the disease, but they're, they're following up on the therapy that's been assigned to them or the case that they've been assigned to, which of course is a human being and a patient, which you know, the, is the empathy has to come first beyond any medication. It's that empathy and that care and that hands-on and, and, and understanding. And especially pharmacies exploding. And yes, there, there's a lot of money in it because um, how expensive these medications are. But if you're not following it up with the human side of it and you're not paying attention to things like reporting back to the manufacturer specifics or uh, collecting the right data for outcomes, being able to share that data uh, succinctly with uh, with physicians and 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 being able to do that correctly, then it's it's going to be very hard to be successful in the specialty pharmacy business. Yeah, absolutely, and it really is a polar opposite from the transactional uh, pharmacy exchanges that we're probably most familiar with. In that. Uh, just because of the sheer volume of patients and the different types of conditions and uh, symptoms and problems they present to us with it's been very hard to do anything more than the bare basics but you know what I've often loved about these models is that because you specialize in one or two particular areas and you know particularly in Australia there's a great opportunity with diabetes which is a, a massive opportunity here as I know as it is for it for the US as well um, and you can really build out a full and remarkable solution around how that patient's journey is going to play out and actually be a facilitator and a coordinator of that patient's care if your pharmacy model is built around that as opposed to just simply being the person that supplies the pills for the overall solution but really hasn't got time to take much interest in the other parts and you know if you're going to make the patient's journey a lot more pleasurable and a lot less bumpy um, you know that's the definition of value I believe that's so true you, you gotta you gotta stop being fast food pharmacy and those practices of, of cookie cutter transactions and you have to slow down and you know I've heard metrics 
uh, being shared on on Twitter or um, or on uh, on LinkedIn or through some of the blogs that I read <clears throat> about the expectations of some of these big national players who I love to pick on, um, and and that is they they have metrics for their pharmacists that they have to if they have to process so many prescriptions a day, and I'm just like you know what you guys are. I mean I understand uh, you know there's a balance between economics and care because you got to keep the lights on, you got to keep people employed. But there's too much uh, attention to turning that profit on these uh, these national players and these publicly traded players and and these big box guys who want to sell uh, trinkets and and groceries more so than they do um, actually caring for patients uh, at the pharmacy. And that's where that's why I'm so in love with the private owners here in the United States because these private owners I'm talking about these guys that even own 20 stores. There's a guy named Tony Suntoris who who has a store, Docs uh, Drugs, out in Chicago. Huge operation. He's got he's got 18 stores. He's got a long-term care um, um, business inside his uh, uh, his other 18 stores. And that guy, I mean, you can talk to him if you wanted to. So as a patient, if you wanted to talk to the head honcho, you could request to talk to him, and he's going to call you back. And, or he'll give you his cell phone. You can call him. There's a guy in Pittsburgh who I've mentioned, the MedFast Pharmacy, Doug Callagher. At nighttime, there's a call rotation that's attached to certain stores, of course, but there's a customer service line. He's actually still on. I mean, this guy's been in business 20-plus years. He's, a, you know, he's done very well. He's very you know, wealthy, well-to-do. Well he still takes calls from his customers, from his patients. And I'm thinking, you know, when you boil it down, the most successful pharmacy operators, the most successful pharmacy business owners here in the states um, and the ones that are most loved by their community and, and by their patients are the ones that are still involved uh, at, from a heart level from that patient care level who haven't who haven't forgot that the aspect of I don't care how much technology you have and how much profit there is and how savvy you are at marketing if your heart isn't in it I mean you know sell your pharmacy and get out and go do something else because it pharmacy there's I, I don't think there's enough profit in it per se, by how much time and love you have to put into the position and what you have to do for your patients to, to get you know, an even kickback in, in, in comparison to many other professions that are out there, um, especially like a banker or an investor per se. But um, you, you really have to be involved in being a, a wellness provider. Yeah, no, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And because obviously we focus a lot of on the technology that can help a pharmacy become more efficient, but also bring themselves closer and enrich their patients' experiences. Um, what are the, what are the best technologies um, that you've seen implemented in in community pharmacies in in the US? I, I know that off off air we were talking about um, some ATM kiosks and um, also the you know the ability for you to um, have a better setup for pickup of prescriptions. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that technology because we haven't quite seen anything like that over here just yet. Sure. So the the will call technology has really been you know big over the last uh, 10, 15 years where you're organizing um, how um, and when a patient is coming for multi-orders or there might be multiple people in that family or that household that needs to pick up and uh, being able to quickly um, go through a workflow process and then put this into a will call section to ensure the uh, accuracy of the pickup. 
as well as the timing of when that prescription is going to be ready, especially if you're telling somebody a very specific time to pick up that prescription. And then there's the world of the automation, which you're, you're speaking of, which shows almost like the ATM machines, the automated tele, teller machines for pickup. And that was pretty hot, or it was a big buzzword about a year and a half, two years ago. And it is, it is being used uh, sporadically throughout the states, but it never caught on like we thought that it would. And that was the machine that you would basically package your, your patient's medications for a, a refill in, uh, in situation where um, a, a counseling would be available by digital screen and you could put in your credit card, which would be an identifier of you. And then um, on the screen, it might have some questions for you to answer via touchpad. And then, of course, you make payment with your credit card and then your medication or your refill comes out in some kind of uh, single dose or something like that. And then on the screen, it says if you have questions, if it's after hours, for example, um, you know, call this specific number. Or, in fact, there are even kiosks or ATM systems that would allow you to pick up a phone that would automatically dial a, um, a pharmacist on call, almost like a telehealth environment uh, situation, which is kind of a, a whole nother uh, evolution here in the States. But those, those ATM kiosks haven't taken off um, you know, incredibly to the point that you could go into just about any pharmacy and see them, but they're, they're patchy. They're still being used, and I think it's still being experimented with some of the larger uh, pharmacy chains uh, here in the United States. Yeah, uh, look, it's it's interesting, and I guess when you think about all of that automated setup, you quite often think that that's probably going to lend itself to rural and remote pharmacy areas where there just literally isn't the number of patients to be able to justify opening a new pharmacy. And I guess you know you just touched on telehealth, and you know that that's that's a really interesting one that I was talking about with uh, one of my guests, Kathy Reed, on episode forty-eight, and she'd just been to the states at CES, and we're talking about uh, Dr. Phil's Doctor on Demand and how that's exploding over there. But I guess in pharmacy world, is is there anyone over in the States taking advantage of that? Yeah, Telefarm, um, which I think that's the name of their company is T-E-L-E Farm, um, Telefarm. I think they're concentrating on an application that would make it very easy for um, a pharmacy to to get involved in, in the remote services that could be offered by um, not only a pharmacist, but a doctor. And um, there are um, health centers with some of the big national chains here that are uh, employing the world of telehealth where a patient could come into a care center, um, go into a private room and and receive counseling or a condition or take biometrics from some of the um, things that you could put on your, um, you know, uh, um, a monitor on your finger for your pulse or or your or or there's actually the instruments that will um, that will be picked up and you can actually uh, focus on your eye or focus on your ear or um, or something like that that you can actually consult with a live person on the other end of the of the screen so I think it's I think it's really in its it's in its beginning phases I see some of our independents will probably eventually adopt something like that especially um, uh, for these care clinics that they're going to have to em- employ and and strategize about how to compete with some of these national big box providers who are really kind of rolling some of this stuff out as well. As you have mentioned, there's a there's a race between you know the CVSs and the Walgreens uh, here in the states, and of course Rite Aid is 
is fast behind them as well, trying to employ different strategies. And I think the independents have to pay attention to what works and what doesn't work, so they're not laying out a bunch of capital and technology that, that might have been hot in concept, but then when you start to drill down in the remote areas that you're in, your patients don't necessarily even want to use that technology. So it really depends on the rural area that you're in or the, the, the temperament of your community or the acceptance of technology in your community. And only, only an independent pharmacist business owner um, is going to be able to attest that and be able to leverage that based on what their community is going to accept and maybe, you know, some larger city atmosphere. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, you know, as a pharmacy owner, I was talking at, or I, I won't, uh, I won't name them, uh, but, um, they, um, they've got a pharmacy on a single island in, in Australia and, uh, you know, their, their adoption of technology amongst their core group of customers is still pretty low. And, uh, you know, they're lucky to have mobile phones with basic SMS functionality. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be in that kind of environment, you know, there's no point rolling out smartphone technology and, uh, things that rely on telehealth that rely on having good quality cameras on these phones if it's not available. Um, and so, certainly not likely to be taken up so it's really a horses for courses and like you say and that's my motto you know no one knows your business better than you do as a pharmacy owner so it shouldn't be a case of you know this is working in this part of the world or in this city or this suburb nearby it's really what's going to work for your core patients and they're they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to tell you that that's so true. So really interesting. And <clears throat> Todd, I guess to, to put a bit of a, a, a bright spot on the future, um, what do you see coming for pharmacy? You know, and, and I guess have you, ha- have you gave, given yourself some time and freedom to think about that, you know, if, you know, we threw away all of these boundaries of development and change in business and in pharmacy of time and resources, you know, what would you love to see implemented in pharmacies today? But, you know, it could well be it doesn't happen you know, to, for a few years to come? Well, I would say first, uh, you know, from a, from a large perspective or a national perspective, I definitely want to see our, um, our government payment system as well as our insurance payment system accept and realize how important the pharmacist is in, in awarding and giving them what they deserve as, as providers and in, in getting provider status. And what that's going to mean as uh, being able to be paid for a service rather than a transaction. So that's something that I know is coming. I'm hoping that it'll, it'll happen in 2015. I think from a, um, a marketing perspective, you wanna, I wanna see these pharmacy owners really leverage uh, their, their brand and their community, which is very specific to them, uh, designing a very specific company culture, um, understanding what home uh, engagement and or our seniors uh, with our baby boomers that are uh, obviously prevalent in the United States, how important that bedside delivery is. Um, being able to offer adherence programs to keep patients on their therapies, but then pay attention to the outcomes and the, the slight differences and the, the way that they're reacting to the medications so that you can communicate with the physician as the, as the medication specialist. Um, so, you know, the collection of that data in a pharmacy management system is extremely important. So I'm, I'm looking forward to pharmacy management systems that continue to grow out their customer relationship management pieces, their CRM pieces. Uh, there are f- several systems in the marketplace today that are attempting to do that. 
I just don't think that they're uh, fully baked um, per se. Um, you know, there's uh, several systems that I've consulted for that um, uh, have a really good starting point for uh, customer care and patient care, and I think technology is a big piece of that. And then, and then third, and and lastly, is um, pharmacists investing in the future pharmacist. And that is, you know, there's a program here that that we have in the states called the Next Generation Pharmacist, and we always award different pharmacists in in different uh, positions and different. Uh, uh, spaces within pharmacy, health system, or military pharmacy. But then, of course, we're always looking for those future leaders, those young pharmacists who are coming and and coming up in the in the ranks and and being trendsetters and innovators. Because that's that's truly the future of pharmacy. Not to make a pun of the of the of the term, but that is the future of pharmacy. That's our young pharmacists who think that our market is saturated in the United States. And guess what? listeners, pharmacy listeners, pharmacy students, the only way the market is saturated is if you're not innovating. That's the only way. But if you always do something a little different, if you always present something a little bit uh, edgy, something that differentiate you from all the rest of the pharmacists who are, you know, who are uh, maybe uh, coming to a retirement or uh, maybe don't care as much and they don't really like their position, which they should probably go do something else. But it's the innovators that I'm excited about. It's those young, it's those young pharmacists that, that I hope that they're listening to both of our podcasts uh, as they move in their careers. Yeah, and it's all about playing a bigger game and really taking you know the lessons of the history of pharmacy, and that's why we often talk about back to the future because there are some great lessons from the fundamentals of what made pharmacy successful in the 1800s that we can take with us now into the future. But the method of delivery and where our patients and how our patients want to work with us needs to be more centred on what they want, and we need to be present in there rather than saying that we're only open certain hours we're only available during these certain hours we only have certain number of pharmacists i'm only available at this time it really does come back to fulfilling the patient's ultimate need because if we can help them stay in good health and lead a better quality of life then we've succeeded as health professionals and all of these tools and all of these strategies really can help you do that and uh, you just have to be open to it and i think sometimes the mindset is the biggest challenge that we have to face so Todd it's been absolutely fantastic have you on the show it's been I've really looked forward to it and I think we've covered so much ground and hopefully our listeners are now seeing that you know we're not all alone in Australia with a lot of the similar issues that we face over in the states as well and um, you know but there are some great things that we can learn from what's going on in the US as I'm sure it'll work both ways and uh, I look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future. Yeah, I look forward to having transformation come into the pharmacy podcast too. And if your listeners want to listen to you know the pharmacy podcast, we're on iTunes, which is probably the easiest way uh, to reach us. Um, we're in the iTunes library, and um, and we like I said, Robert, we we got to have you on the pharmacy podcast. I look forward to it. It'll be fantastic. Very good. Thank you so Cheers. much. Thanks, Todd. Well, there you have it from one podcast host to another, some of the best to come out of the US that we can take and transport into our pharmacies in Australia and really underlines thinking globally but acting locally. My three key learnings, and they're pretty big ones too, but some pretty obvious ones in that 
The global problems, and that's number one, particularly those going on in the US, particularly independent pharmacies, are not too dissimilar to what we see over here in Australia. They've got pharmacy benefit managers like insurance companies that are determining what medicines are subsidised and by what plan. And granted, their system's a lot more complicated than ours because they could be managing anything upwards of 20 or 30 insurance companies in different formularies at the same time whenever they've got a single patient coming in to determine whether they're going to pay it and whether it's a most appropriate medicine. Really, really complicated. And we've got the PBS, which is obviously for us, we're seeing a reduction in the amount that we get subsidised back from the government at the same time. But the underlying problem is that of reliance. So that we're really too unhealthily reliant on the PBS and on the Community Pharmacy Agreement for our sustainability and that all pharmacists everywhere are looking for opportunities outside of the normal sphere of our usual services of supply and basic advice. So the opportunities are there and there's one that we'll touch on I think on our third key learning. But our second one is social media. As Todd was saying, don't forget the social part of social media. And I think that's always a great philosophy to take when you're considering about being in the social space and whether you want to participate actively, that realistically, you're just extending your normal conversations that you would have with any patient at any one time into a digital environment. And as we always talk about, marketing is that conversation that you have with your patients when they're not in front of you. And that's just to a bigger audience and also delivering it to them in a fashion and a medium that they choose and spend a lot of time on being social media, you're just continuing that conversation and adding to it. So you can't do it half-hearted and you can't not do it at all. You need to commit fully to the 21st century pharmacy, which is both online and offline because your patients are in that environment and that's where we need to be as well. The third one that I wanted to touch on was really about reinventing or perhaps revisiting our pharmacy experience. We talked a bit about, obviously, on this show, but also in our interview with Todd, around the pharmacy experience of the yesteryear. So the 1800s, when you had soda fountains and you had other things that would go on in the pharmacy to basically be a third space for them. And as we were talking about, there are some great innovative pharmacies. We spoke about Stanley's in New York, which is making custom tonics and teas and sodas for his patients. And it's really a nice, clean, holistic environment and doing really well and got a great social media presence, by the way, as well. But then you've also got others that are putting in juice fountains or juice bars, which is probably the uh, health, more healthy and certainly akin to the wellness movement type of soda fountain of the 21st century. And it's just creating a great experience for our patients when they're in the pharmacy as well. And that's always a great thing in terms of being able to deliver a customer experience that they can't get anywhere else and they don't want anywhere else because you're doing so well with it. And as we touched on, some of the shortcomings come back to the amount of density of product that we have in the pharmacies and that we need to really niche down. There were some great examples of specialty pharmacy, which is something we don't see really going on in Australia at the moment, but I have no doubt it's a future practice model where you could be specialising in HIV, you could be all sorts of different disease states, maybe even diabetes, which is one that we all know is a big opportunity, and really zeroing 
focusing in on the experience around that particular disease state in terms of looking at what does that patient's journey look like? What do they experience before they experience diabetes and what can we do to prevent it? But also at the other end of the spectrum, looking at all of the comorbidities that turn out during the disease progression and how we can help our patients minimize the time they need to spend in the health system by giving them great navigational advice, but also following them up and making sure that everything is working well for them. And you can only do that when you niche in. Otherwise, you've got patients coming in with all sorts of different conditions and we just simply don't have the time or the knowledge to specialize in everything. So as, as Todd said, we need to stop being fast food pharmacy and really specializing in what we really do well in. And we can only ever do that by understanding our customers better, which always comes from listening, but as we've been talking about, can also come from your data, which could be your loyalty, your point of sale, your dispense, and really utilizing that to better understand our customers. Because if we do that, we've not only got a sustainable business model, but we've got one that our patients simply will love. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. Don't forget to leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to everyone. And Todd Yuri, our guest today, would be only too happy to answer your questions as well. Or you can hit him up on Twitter at Pharmacy Podcast, and I'll throw that in the podcast show notes if you've missed it. We've got a great interview coming up next week where you discover hidden opportunities inside your payroll data. That's right, your payroll data. That's right, the thing that we all just want to press a button and pay all of ourselves and our team without really thinking much more about it. But it levels so much opportunity for our businesses moving forward. You simply won't believe it. Have a great week, everyone. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.